This morning I'm, I'm speaking on uh, one of the final passages in the book of Philippians that we've been working our way through. And I was praying this week and asking, what do I name this? What do I name this preach? Uh, and I felt the Spirit say, peace, peace be still. And I, I start with that because I sense that in our community there are people who are in the storms of life. And you're on the boat, you can't see the shore. And the waves are tight and they're lashing, and perhaps you're fearful. And I sense there are people here this morning, and you need the word of Jesus, peace be still, peace be still. And so that is why I've named the preach, which should be behind me, peace be still. And we'll come to that at the end. My heart is that this morning, we ask the Father, through the Spirit, to start to call out over the waves that we are currently in, peace be still. The previous verses of the passage were in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And the previous verses are talking to us about being citizens of heaven. And now the concluding verses of this letter speak to us, reminding us of how we were to live in the here and now as we await the return of Christ. I would suggest that this passage focuses our attention on the peace of God, and it focuses it in three areas on our relationships with each other, on our relationship to God, and on our relationship to ourselves. And those are the three areas that I want to speak to this morning. When Paul starts these sections with therefore, he's reminding us to hear this section in light of all the other teaching that has gone before. And the passage is a template of ideas and guidance that will help us to achieve peaceful living and I imagine that if, any, if we were all really honest with ourselves this morning, there's not many of us who actually feel peaceful the majority or all of the time. And so we have much to learn from this passage this morning. Paul is talking further on, he's talking in particular about our thought life, something that I'm very fascinated by. And, and brain and our mind. Paul in this passage is one of the first neuroscientists and it's taken the world 2,000 years to catch up and learn what he's teaching us in this passage. I find that very exciting. As I said, I imagine not many of us really feel at ease or at peace most of the time and I'm hoping that this morning perhaps we can find some templates of how to search for and attain the peace of God because that is the call on our lives. These early church communities, Philipp, the Philippians were one of them. They, how they lived caused the message of Jesus to literally explode. They lived in a way that was very different. They lived as people who were very clear on their identity as citizens of heaven. And how they lived and, and behaved with one another and in their communities caused the message of Jesus to explode. What would happen on this street if we lived in a way that spoke the grace and the mercy and the passion of Jesus? If we were known for our peace, if we were known for our passion and our mercy, what would change outside these doors, Redeemer? That is a call on us as a community. And we need to get it right in here, but not for the sake of in here, for the sake of out there, for the sake of out there. And so that is where I want to maybe invite us to think about this morning. When I spoke a few weeks back on the passage, how to live as Christ, to die as gain, 
I was reminding us that Paul was not teaching that from a kind of navel-gazing philosophical perspective. He was looking down the reality of death. And so when he spoke about to live as Christ and to die as Dean, it was out of that. And in this passage, Paul speaks to anxiety. And there's lots of suggestion and belief that over the course of the letters, we can be pretty confident that Paul suffered from anxiety and what we would now call depression. He got to the point where he asked, he was, uh, I've got it written down and hopefully I can find it. Second Corinthians, three different passages. I had no rest in my spirit. I was burdened beyond measure so that I even despaired of my life. There are other characters within the Bible who experienced depression. Elijah, Elijah won battles. He called down fire from heaven. He was victorious in everything he did. And yet he said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. The book of Job, a study in despair, if ever there was one. And Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And Jesus also told us, you will have trouble you will have trouble. So we know from the Bible and from the characters here, there is nothing in life that we can go through that you will not find wisdom in the Bible to address it. There is no experience or state of mind or way of life that you will walk where there is not a good template for how to respond. And I also want to say this morning as I speak on worry and anxiety, that I have personal experience of it, so I do not speak lightly. I speak of lived experience, and I've talked to it before. I perhaps don't need to go into that. But what I'm saying is, these are not trite ideas and words that don't work. This is robust, scientifically proven ways to manage anxiety and to break the stronghold that it is in your mind. So let's dig into it. I'm going to read us the passage now, and I'm reading it from the N.T. Wright translation because that is some of the teaching that we as a leadership team have looked at in prep for this. I have a special appeal which goes jointly to Yudia and Syntyche. Please, please come to a common mind in the Lord. And here's a request for you too, my loyal comrade. Please help these women. They have struggled hard in the gospel alongside me, as have Clement and my other fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again, celebrate. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are, for the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Rather, in every area of life, let God know what you want as you pray and make requests and give thanks as well. And God's peace, God's peace, which is greater than we can ever understand, will keep guard over your hearts and minds in King Jesus. For the rest, my dear family, these are the things you should think through. Whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is upright, whatever is pure, Whatever is attractive, whatever has a good reputation, anything virtuous, anything praiseworthy. And these are the things you should do. What you learned, received, heard, and saw in and through me. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you.
Paul first preached in Macedonia. He stood at the side of a river and Lydia was a woman of that community and she offered her home to him. She offered hospitality to him and they began to pray and meet in Lydia's home. And it is believed that Judea and Syntyche were two of the women who were in this early prayer meeting. So here was one of the the only church that Paul was personally involved in planting and here were women right at the start of it. Leaders, prayers, workers with the Lord. And for some reason, these two lovely women, I'm assuming they're lovely, they've had a fallout. We don't know how, we don't know why. Was it personal? Was it theological? We don't know. But what we do know is that the news had got to Paul in prison and he was calling them out. So can you imagine sitting in the the church in Philippi and you're Judea or Syntyche and you've had a bit of a, a thing with the other one and the letter comes from prison And you're called out. You're named. Sort it out, girls. And if you can't sort it out, get Clement to sort it out. And I believe the reason that this is here is because Paul's reminding us we are going to have conflict in relationships. That is what is going to happen. We are human. But the call is to come to a common mind. And that if they can't do it themselves, he's calling on Clement to help them. How many times, if you've been on the road with Jesus for a number of years, how many times have you seen things fall apart? Because people in the church cannot agree. They cannot come to one mind. What has been lost in the kingdom of Jesus because of disunity? And earlier in the chapter, Paul is talking about disunity uh, with Christ, or unity with Christ, and now he's talking about unity with one another. And I wonder how many of us have a Eudia or a Syntica in our lives. I wonder how many of us have a Eudia. Maybe they're part of this church as it stands. Maybe they used to be. But you know that there's something is not quite right. Something that maybe needs to be said that hasn't been said. Or stuff that was said that needs to be repented of. And my heart this morning is that we start to allow the Holy Spirit to show us where we have those where we have those relationships where we are called to become of a common mind. They're two godly women. They're two godly women because they were there at the beginning. And the key to being an authentic follower of Jesus is to pray, contend, and fight for unity. The reality is there will be conflict, but the call is for a common mind. And Paul here is speaking of a gospel hermeneutic where we show love and unity in the way of Jesus and we model it out in all our relationships and community. He's calling it out and he pleads with others to get involved. Redeemer, do we live with one another in a way where we are fully known? Do I have relationships within this community where I am fully known? And when I am behaving in a way that is not as a Jesus follower, somebody loves me enough to call me out. Somebody loves me enough to call me out and say, enough, sort it out. Do we allow ourselves to really have those relationships with one another? And if we don't, Redeemer, let's get on that journey together. We are in a safe place with one another. We are family. We are loved and redeemed. And God is calling us on to Real, true, heartfelt community and unity. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. 
that would be desperately dull. But it does mean that we are of a common mind and we search for and long for unity in the way of Jesus. In verses four or five, I just want to take us back to that. He further kind of develops the idea of how to live with others. He says, celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again, celebrate. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are, for the Lord is near. He was reminding us that the here and now is what it is, but we are waiting for the resurrection and the Lord is near. His return is coming. And we need to live in the here and now with that perspective, that eternal perspective. In Roman culture, where Paul was talking to, there was constant celebrations on the streets. There was always a parade, always a procession. Paul is inviting the church to be known for their joy, to live as those who know how to celebrate Are we known for our joy? (laughs) Are we known as a people that you really want to get with them because they know how to live life? They know how to show joy and to celebrate. He's saying, you live in a culture where everyone's out in the street having a good time. Are you living as the ones who have deep inner joy and showing the world exactly what joy really means? Not joy based on our circumstances, but joy based on our inner peace. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are. That to me is one beautiful idea. My heart is that this community redeemer would be known on this very street for our gentleness and our graciousness. That those would be the hallmarks that when people walk past this street on a Saturday night, they would know that in here on a Sunday, you will gather with those known for their gentleness and their graciousness. And that's going to require some work on our part because that's not the expectation of what folks on the street will expect when they look at a church. So Redeemer, this is the call. Let us be known for our graciousness and our gentleness. What would it actually mean to the street outside, to the broken, the marginalized, the desperate for wholeness, the desperate for Jesus? What would it mean if we were suddenly known for gentleness and graciousness. We could invite people in to find the gracious and gentle father, perhaps the one they have been looking for all along. I want to come now to the verses, don't worry about anything. Rather than every area of your life, let God know what you want as you pray and make requests and give thanks as well. And God's peace, which is greater than we can ever understand, will keep guard over your hearts and minds in King Jesus. Paul is speaking here to the reality of anxiety. He's, not, he's reminding us that you will have worries. You will have anxiety. Life will be hard. Jesus told us it as well. You will have trouble. But what he's saying is he then offers us the antidote to it. He offers us the treatment, the prescription if you like, prayer, prayer. The Greek word for anxiety means a a divided mind, a mind that is pulled in many directions. There was a a YouGov poll this year and it looked at, it uh, interviewed thousands of teenagers and it asked them about their experience of life. 74% of them said they were stressed, overwhelmed and feeling unable to cope. 74% of them. 
They had felt that, if not at the moment, in the last year. Today's generation, what they said at the end of this government poll, and there was only 7% who said, I've actually never felt stressed, overwhelmed, or unable to cope. 7% of the generation that are currently being raised. And what the poll said was that today's generation are more afraid of living than dying. And I know that in my day-to-day work. We are raising a generation who do not know how to live, who do not know how to experience hope, who do not know that life is worth living. They are crippled with thoughts of life not being worth living. They are crippled with thoughts and actions and harming themselves and, and all of that pain. So we are raising a generation that are more scared of living than they are of dying. That is abhorrent. That is heartbreaking. And there is a call on us to be the voice for life and life in all its fullness. There is a call on us to model a way of life that reminds people that we are living in the here and now and it will go on and on forever. Jesus taught on anxiety in Matthew chapter 6 and he asked us, what can we add? We cannot add a single hour to our lives and tomorrow we'll be anxious for ourselves, for itself. Worry and anxiety comes when we are trying to control what we cannot control. And we often, I would say, worry and anxiety is often a form of idolatry because we worry about what we actually worship. So if you're lying awake at night, the things that keep you awake, they may well be the things you worship. They may well be the things that you have as an idol. And we are called to call them down and to deal with them. It is rooted, in my view, in a a lack of trust and it usually comes from when we are focusing on ourselves. There's a beautiful quote that should come up beside, behind me from Rowan Williams. When crisis faces us, when uncertainty is all around us, and evil is powerfully at work, to stand with dignity and freedom, we need to know God as our Father. We need to know that whatever happens to us, God is God, and his name and presence and power are wonderful, and that our glorious God has made us family members in a very intimate way. With that confidence and childlike dependence, we are actually free. We know there is a relationship that nothing can break. John Ortberg has a lovely phrase where he says, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift and it liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. Prayer is a prescription that Paul is giving us as a treatment or the antidote for anxiety. He's speaking of petitions and requests. Petitions are asking what we want and are those urgent requests. You know those help me, Lord. Anyone who has ever raised children, got to five o'clock where everybody's hungry and crotchety and you're tired and the dinner's burnt and all you can do is help me, help me Lord. I've prayed many of those prayers over the years. You will have your own help me Lord situations. You will have your own desperate cries to the Father. And then there's the asking what we want and what we need. And I've been thinking about this week and I've been thinking, have we ever wondered about all the treasures that God has for us? And they're all available to us and they're all waiting for us. And all the Father wants us to do is ask. 
Have you ever wondered what you might be missing out on in this spiritual life? Because you're not asking. And here Paul is reminding us, bring it all to Jesus. Bring it all and ask your good father for what you want. I wonder if we started to do that in a personal way and in a corporate way. What would be opened up? What would be opened up from heaven to us as a community if we were actually to boldly ask? If we were to boldly ask for our personal life and for our corporate life. And if we live in this practice of daily dependence on God, daily bringing to him in prayer our requests and our desperate pleas, then here is the promise. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The image used in this is a guarding of our hearts is a military one, a military garrison where God sends us an army of angels to guard our hearts and our minds. We, as Jesus' followers, are the citizens of heaven. And whilst we are here, we are far from our homeland. We are far from our homeland and we will have trouble. But the Bible is teaching us to speak to our hearts and God will send us his angels to protect us and to protect our minds. If you look through the whole story of God in the Bible, there is teaching on speak to your hearts. The heart is the wellspring of life. Speak to your heart because in speaking to your heart, you will transform your mind. Elijah, he sought a daily touch of the Father. What are you doing? on a daily basis to seek the touch of the Father? Where are you prioritizing your time? Where are you prioritizing your time? Are you spending time every day? And I speak to myself as well. Am I spending time every day seeking a touch of the Father? I want to cross-reference this with a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. I should have had it behind me, but I didn't. My apologies. I'm going to have to find it. And I'm in 1 Corinthians, so that's not really going to help us. Hold on. Stay with me. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And here is another military idea. The Greek word for stronghold actually described a cave that was cut into the mountain that the the soldiers used. They cut these strongholds into the mountain and they were impenetrable. No one could get to them. No one could find them. And this is the word that Paul is using in Corinthians when he talks about the mind. We have strongholds in our minds that in the earthly realm, they are impenetrable. And I believe that anxiety is one of them. I believe that anxiety and worry is one of the strongholds of the mind. And yet Paul is reminding us, we have the authority in Christ Jesus to demolish that stronghold, to have it no more to take its power from us and to set us free. And that, I would invite us this morning to start to think, is that a stronghold in my mind? Is that something that I struggle with and battle with? And if it is, then let's call it out today in community. Let's begin to step forward and believe that that stronghold can be demolished in the name of Jesus.
And the purpose is to make us more Christ-like and more like him that we follow. Deuteronomy reminds us, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is going with you. The Lord your God is going with you. And that and only that gives us strength. In these last verses, um, here we have, as you all know, I'm fascinated by neuroscience and I'm fascinated by the brain and what it does. And I believe that Paul here is starting the work of what it has taken us in the world 2,000 years to do, neuroscience. We now have proven that the brain is neuro, has neuroplasticity. It's not a solid organ that can't change. 30 years ago, we used to believe that once your brain was, the pathways were set, your thought processes were set, there was no change. And in the last 20 years, we now know that that's rubbish and that actually we can always change. We can always build new neural pathways and we can build new ways to respond to things. And it's called, the, the movement is called positive psychology and how it developed was in 1998, a group of Harvard scientists decided that instead of spending all their day studying those who were unhappy, they would study those who were happy and see what we could learn from them. Fascinating stuff. And so up until that point, psychology had simply been obsessed with and studying those who were unwell in their minds. And then they started to study those who were well. And what they found was that the brain can grow throughout life and can develop and that you can find ways to be more positive and hopeful. This is not a self-help talk. Self-help talks are to help you get happy. This is a talk to remind you to become more like Jesus to find your peace in Jesus. And what, they, what these Harvard researchers, after 20 years of research on happiness, they said there was five things that you need to be doing on a daily basis. Meditation or prayer, gratitude, conscious acts of kindness, journaling, and healthy relationships. It took them 20 years of research to tell what Paul has told us in several verses. Meditation and prayer, gratitude throughout all of the scripture, conscious acts of kindness, journaling, I would say that's living in community, being real and living in community with yourself and healthy relationships. It's all here, it's all here. Whenever Paul in these last few verses is talking about how we do this, how do we retrain our brains? How do we retrain our minds? He is talking as a Jewish rabbi. So Eastern meditation taught us to empty your mind, fill it with nothing. Paul here is speaking as a Jewish rabbi and he's talking about Hebrew meditation where you fill your mind. And this is what he tells us to fill it with. For the rest, my dear family, these are the things you should think through. Whatever is true, whatever is holy, upright, pure, attractive, whatever has a good reputation, anything virtuous, anything praiseworthy. These are the things you should do. And this is interesting because what I was reading about this week was that this list would have been exactly what any Greek philosopher of that age would have said to do. Aristotle would have written the same list Thinking about this, 
fill your mind with this. And what's the point in Paul telling us this? Because he was a creational theologian. He believed that everything in the world was good and was made by God. And he is reminding us, don't just get stuck in what you think is the church. Celebrate, enjoy, think about, focus on creation, science, medicine, children, people, All of it is God's creation and all of it is being redeemed and is being made new. So this is what we do. We think of them and we follow them and we focus on them. And he's telling us, look for God's fingerprint. Look for God's generosity. Look for God's grace and his mercy in everything because it is everywhere. I mean, we'd be fools if we thought it was only in here. We'd be fools. It's everywhere. And Redeemer, let's start focusing on what is beautiful and true and noble and right and praiseworthy in all of God's creation because he is redeeming it and he is making everything new. So this passage in the teachings of Jesus teach us all the things that these Harvard self-help guys are teaching us. The Bible's goal is for us to become more like Jesus. And what happens when we retrain our brain in this way and when we retrain our mind? The peace of God will be with you. The peace of God will be with you. And so in this passage this morning, it is spoken to our relationships with one another. It speaks to our relationship with God and it speaks to our relationship with ourselves. And now as we begin to come to the table, I I find when I read passages like this and I, I look and I ask God to show me exactly what perhaps I need to do different, there's part of me kinda, it feels a bit clunky and it feels a bit scary and I'm not sure I wanna do it. And where I find I need to bring it to is the table and to the cross. Because whatever he's asking me, whatever he's asking you to do, it is nothing compared with what Jesus did for us here. Nothing. And so as the band come now, if if that's okay, I want us to kind of land here at the table and I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to help us see what what we need to do in response. I, I was thinking about this this week when I come home in the evenings, I get out of my work gear and I get into what I... I have been reliably informed as athleisure wear, which is a lot of black lycra. And uh, I'm completely at ease. I close the blue-green front door and I am Mrs. Chilled. And I am at my most authentic self. And there's probably parts of myself I might not be that comfortable with some of you seeing because I'm at my most real. And sometimes it's, you know, not that pretty. Not, Not necessarily physically, although whatever. But... What I'm saying is that in this community as Jesus followers, this also is authentic place where we can get into our athleisure wear and we can be ourselves. We can be ourselves. Because there's healing, there's restoration, there's authenticity. And so I'm going to ask us to do something quite vulnerable But I I think it's important as we come to the cross this morning and as we come to the table in the light of this passage If you're in this building this morning and you have ever suffered or are suffering, um, 
You can play. Oh, when you're ready, sorry. If you have suffered or are suffering from worry or anxiety, and I'm not just talking about the clinical crippling worry, the the clinical awfulness of anxiety. I'm talking about the fretting that we do. I'm talking about the nights that we spend awake because we can't sleep when we're fretting. I'm talking about the days where we waste time because something is always in front of us. And I'm going to ask you that if if that is your story this morning or has ever been your story, I'm inviting you to take a brave thing in this very safe place where you are with your family and I'm asking you to stand. So if that is your story or that has ever been your story, be brave and, and stand. What I want you to do is I want you to look around. I want you to look around and lock eyes with somebody else because you're not on your own. You're not on your own. Worry and anxiety is in the very air that we breathe, but we have a template. We have a template for treatment. We have prayer ministry team who would love to pray with you and bless you, and I'm going to pray for us all in a minute. And the other folks that I invite to stand, if you have a Yudia or a Syntica in your life, If you have a Yudia or a Syntica that you know you have to sort something out with, I invite you to stand as well. I invite you to stand and to think about what can I do today to start to walk towards that person? What can I do today to start to make amends, to start to bring healing and restoration? So I'm going to pray over us and then we're going to come to the table. And I'm going to ask the prayer ministry folks to be at the front. And I'm going to ask them to come forward. Don't go without a prayer. Let someone stand beside you and remind you that he is able. He is able. So let's pray. I always find it helpful to open my hands. You stand as you wish. Father, we come to you in these moments and we say thank you. We say thank you for inviting us into a relationship that allows us to be real, not just with you, but with one another. We thank you that you have given us the template in this beautiful book as how we can address the stresses and the strains and the worry and anxiety of this world. And Father, as we open our hearts and our minds to you, we take authority in the name of Jesus and we say, peace, be still. Peace be still to troubled minds and troubled hearts. And we ask that in these days we take positive steps forward to do the hard work of caring for our soul. But we do it because we partner with you. And we do it to make us more like you and to bring you to a broken world. So Father, I thank you for every person who stood and who's currently on their feet. And for those who perhaps weren't able to be, I praise you for them too. And I thank you and I ask that you come and you begin to work a miracle in their hearts and their minds. And Father, for those of us who stood because we have a Utica, a Yudia or a Syntica, Father, your heart is always for restoration. Your heart is always for wholeness and restoration. And I pray that we are brave 
and strong and that we make the first steps, whatever they look like, but that we make the first steps toward one another so that we become one with a common mind. And Father, I thank you that you are here by your spirit. Come and do all that you want to do in our hearts and in our minds. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your blood that you shed so that we could be the sons and the daughters of the Most High King and we could be whole. So we walk towards you, Father. And when we walk towards you, you see you up. we see you standing with your arms wide open, waiting to welcome us. So Father, as we worship and as we come to the table, continue to work in us and through us. For it is all for your glory. It is all for your glory in your beautiful, precious and life-giving name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. And if the prayer ministry team want to come over and anyone who was standing wants to have prayer, we would love to stand with you. We would love to stand with you.